I'm so excited to be here today with Scott Vaughn, Chief Growth Officer at Integrate. We're going to talk about orchestration. Yeah, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And when I say excited, because I think our conversations uh, off this podcast has been sensational about where marketing is, where the world is, and how we can really make a difference from a business standpoint. And I think we're at that inflection point or point of change where um, B2B marketing is kind of boring. We need to put some life into it. And so I'm excited to chat and talk about it and see if we can be accelerators of moving forward. The topic, the main event, the main topic is orchestration. What are we really talking about when we use that term? Well, orchestration was something you started to hear in really 2014-15 from a few of the analysts as this notion that um, all of us in, in sales and marketing and B2B were talking funnels and we're going to take them through our sales and marketing process. We know that's not how it works. It's, it's a ball. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all over the place. But uh, we're also trying to at least help them navigate their buyer or account journey. And, and so this idea that we have this shift going on, we have to get out of the sales and marketing funnel, which has put some very bad habits in B2B marketing and sales, and get to this more of this journey mentality means we can't just automate stuff. We have to begin to think about how to connect dots and orchestrate. And it, orchestrate has many different meanings in B2B marketing and many uh, of the upstart providers like Sixth Sense and Integrate among them um, are really embracing this notion of making this next level change. And what, if you boil it all down, it's being able to connect and to um, orchestrate, guide data, people, process, programs, the technology, and bring these things together in a more intelligent way that aligns more with that buyer or account and gets us even further along on that path towards personalization and better experiences. I'm not here with hyperbole to guarantee all of that, but it moves us out of this automation cadence. I send email, I send follow-up, right? And moves us more into this um, almost a mindset and a strategy change that's taking place out there with the leading B2B teams. Do you think, that a, a fundamental part of it is changing uh, how we measure ourselves? Without question. And, you know, boy, of course, you hit right at the right point of a lot of us grew up. We we're going to be revenue marketers a decade ago. We bought our marketing automation system and we hired demand people and we hired marketing ops people. So much great work has been done. I can't we're not the arts and crafts department anymore or the logo or the one sheeters, right? Swag. Don't about swag. Swag's great. We like swag. Uh, but that ingredients then is really moving more into now we can't just measure by quantity of stuff we do. Before it was vanity metrics. Then it was quantity of stuff we do like leads. Um, now we clearly can't be just aspirational about pipeline opportunity and revenue. We, we have to deliver the goods. And that does become metrics and measurable. You're right. And that's one of the beautiful parts of marketing technologies and enabled so much, but it also enabled so much. Automation and probably not focus in the area, which is the next phase, the next era 
um, beyond modern marketing that we're going to go into um, to deliver this. So, so let's, I like this era concept. So era one, we came a long way, marketing automation, late nineties, uh, got us more revenue focused, um, automated a lot of things. Yep. Allowed us to scale. Yep. But would you say it's also enabled some bad practices fast forward today? Yeah. Like anything, it's habit. So we, we went through the dot-com thing. <laughs> we got online, woo, got the website and the marketing had that. And then uh, we began to do some digital programs, which was heavily around advertising. Nothing wrong with that, but that's what it was. And with the rise of social networks, we started to figure out what role is social media and networks going to play. And then we started to say, okay, um, marketing is one of the few departments that's not automated, that's not as accountable. So that first era, in my view, there were dot-com and, uh, and social and digital start the starting points, but the first real big era when uh, companies like uh, Eloqua and Marketo and HubSpot came on the scene that made a big promise to us. And we are going to go, I was a brand and product marketer, and I was going to go and be a revenue marketer. And this vision was painted. Well, the truth is it takes a while. It takes an era to get through this. And that first era was really about basics of automating digital, of automating email, of those things that we had to get in place. And we called this thing a stack. So that's kind of a phase one and a very good leap forward, but we're kind of stuck there. And to your point about bad habits, what is what happens is, okay, man, I just keep automating for efficiency. More we, spam, more emails. Well, that that's that's an outcome of this, right? That's exactly right. So hey, I've automated my three-step cadence. I'm covered. My nurture track is set. No regard for like uh, the stuff that we're doing, even we're doing together is digital nurture, right? I, I don't just want to email somebody. I want to be able to orchestrate social and digital and the other um, capabilities based on that account or that individual buyer's journey. And to do that, our stacks weren't all, most of our stacks out there from the B2B teams weren't built for that. They were built for automation. And so that's why we're hammering this point of there's a lot of things that need to evolve in this next era. And that will steer us out of some of these uh, practices that have become a byproduct of the automation era. So our strategy, our process, probably some of our roles, all how we measure, all these things will evolve, but technology is usually a catalyst for change. And that's what we talked about with wave one, with marketing automation. Yeah. What does it take from a technical, like what's changed with technology that enables perhaps this next generation? Well, there, there there's three or four pieces that I think, um, but before we get to technology, I just want to, want, want to say one thing. Look how many more experienced people we have. You have demand function that wasn't around maybe seven, eight years ago. Now we have a generation of people. Um, we have a generation of marketing ops people that weren't around that have now, you know, they've got some successes and some scars and now they've more experienced in this world so they can see. So that's going to help us. Um, but they also, what happens when you learn something, Hey, I'm certified in name the technology. They fall in love with it very naturally, or that's what they know. So that becomes the impetus. Mm -hmm. so now fast forward. Technology can be a driver of change as an enabler. Um, 
And, and so when you look at things like um, AI and machine learning, all of those are advanced technologies that can help us. But honey, I would argue that you have to step back just a little bit and you have to be a bit more methodical in order to achieve orchestration and being able to connect journeys and accounts and all the things we need to do to really follow the, the more complex buying process as it evolves and to surprise and delight buyers, we need to start with some fundamentals. We need to connect the stuff. Um, and if that stuff's not connected, you're never going to get to orchestration or journeys. Then you need some enabling technology. But would you say that's the underlying technology change is this notion of like we talk about CDPs, we are an embedded CDP. So when you talk about connecting, like you have to be able to connect the data, but also have like the APIs to connect the systems. What 100%. So if you're going to use a customer data platform, that's fine. That's an evolved version of your database, data model, data architecture. That's fantastic. That is enabling to see to do segments and segmentation and apply some machine learning and do some really cool things. But fundamentally, if they're, um, they're not native integrations in certain places with certain systems and certain processes, you can't do squat about the data. True, that's yeah. true. That data. So this that's is where true. that evolution- with nobody. Yeah, there, there's just changes that ha- are, some are, well, there's a little bit of revolution, but there's a lot of evolution into the next era. And it starts with, um, honey, in my book, strategy. It starts with, we are gonna commit to an account-based strategy, not ABM, but account-based thinking, or we're going to commit to really mapping differently to our buyer and account journeys, not just selling and not just generating leads. So once you uh, commit to that and understand it, then becomes, all right, now we have to look at our data model, our process, our tech stack. And then what do those go-to-market programs look like is the layer that makes that actionable. And how do I actually begin to work on that? Oh, Scott, you're speaking my language. I love this. I'm going to have to send you an advanced copy of my book because it's all about putting the customer or the prospect who's a future customer in the center of the experience. Yeah, well, our own linear journey. It sounds so cliche, but you've absolutely crystallized the missing component in the first generation. It was about a, in order to get that first foundation, it was about a lead and marketing showing that it could contribute. Man, it was a great first step. Again, I don't want to demean it at all, but what you're talking about now sounds so obvious when you say it, but how do you put the buyer and the buying group and all of that at the center? Everything from messaging and tone to personalization, to your data structure, to how your MarTech stack is um, organized and, and how things are connected. It is a next evolution that you have to really step back and blueprint and think about, but it's just as much up here as a psyche. Um, we started in our marketing group leading with the buyer. And I learned that in the media business in the 90s. You didn't talk about your media property. You talked about what's going on with the buyer and what's happening with the buyer. And that is much smarter to help um, your communications, to help your smart sales and marketing team organize around that prospect or customer. 
So who's crushing this? I mean, well, we're talking in concepts and, and it is newer. So, um, but, but who's maybe pushing the envelope? Well, I'll give you a couple of stories because they're near near to us, both of us. And and I, I got a front row seat because I just did a, a webinar to get underneath the hood uh, with the team at Tableau. So Tableau got purchased by Salesforce, another mm-hmm. customer. So Salesforce is doing some great work there. But Tableau gets uh, purchased by Salesforce. They have a new leader, CEO uh, from Amazon, who is customer obsessed. And the team at Tableau is just doing some great work. They were a top tier, serious decisions. Go Jackie. Yeah, their whole team. Um, Mike Braun, the global ops lead. I mean, you could go through that whole organization, you know, don't want to name drop here. But that team really woke up one day and really the light light bulb went off like we're best in class in this first era. But that's not what's going to be what wins in the next era. So they are literally rethinking this journey orchestration idea, putting the buyer at the center and customer obsession, but down to changing the titles of the people in marketing. That's how much of a implication. And, and they'll tell you, for, be first to tell you, they have not nailed this, but they're on their own journey to make that happen. What roles do you see changing the most in this new world order, you think? Yeah. And we run a program called Game Changers because we see absolutely in that's not a cliche term. You're 100% right. It starts up here with a mindset and a commitment to a strategy change for this next era. And so the roles that play all the way from uh, all the way from the executive of the CMO um, not being a uh, not thinking that sales is their only customer, but thinking the buyer is their customer first, and sales as a partner. And so these kind of changes, you have to have the right kind of not just roles, but the mindset starting at the top. Um, The best, uh, what Deb Wolf, our CMO, calls uh, the BFF to the CMO is really the marketing ops leadership that has been moving up in value and important relationship, not just because of the technology, but because of you need to run marketing like a business. And that starts with what you measure, the data, the technology you invest in. You can't be a technology buyer. You have to be a technology investor today in that ops group. So that role has had to bring in, I think, not just one person as an expert and a leader or someone who's certified in marketing automation or certified in X, Y, or Z, but that is more of an organization that's focused on running marketing like a business and that understands the buyer, the market, the accounts, and and is not in, we'll get in this topic later, but not in alignment with sales, but more integrated around the buyer. Mm-hmm. A, a role I think about a lot, and maybe this is because um, my my foray into marketing was being a rogue AE throwing her own field vents. <laughs> I was like that person. There, there's um, a visual for you. I mean, my, my mother-in-law is still like, how you're an overplayed party planner, best I can tell. <laughs> So COVID is really killing me. But anyway, we digress. But I think about the role of the field marketer as the orchestrator. Like campaigns come together and they are the quarterback of uh, manual orchestration today. And so I am excited about what happens with that role, especially in the wake of COVID and them becoming more digital and digitally savvy 
I think that's going to be like the critical linchpin for all of this. Yeah, boy, that's a great observation, especially if we, we anticipate the, the world events that are happening today is changing the way we think and the way we work and the way we communicate, how people buy and research and make decisions. We've been talking about digital transformation for 12, 15 years, but now you don't have a choice. And have you seen that? Tune with the wrecking ball that comes like yeah. the, the wrecking ball is called COVID and it's all these people in a room like, yeah, we should chart like a 10-year digital transformation plan and things like wow. <laughs> well, and, and you know, I talk uh, I don't want to digress because I want to answer the question, but think about um divisiveness, not just in our world, um, whether it's politically or views, but the divisiveness from it's a Charles Dickens tale. It's the worst of times and it's the best of times. Mm-hmm. And it's the best of times from for some from a business standpoint because they are armed or they have the talent or the the chutzpah to take the digital transformation journey and be in a position to be uh, someone who can delight and deliver experiences and knows how to operate a digital first business and transform their brand, their company, their experiences. That's mm-hmm. not throwaway words. Um, look at the companies that are doing well. I mean. DocuSign and Okta and all these companies were doing pretty well, but you don't have a choice anymore. You've got to be able to do business digitally. You've got to be able to communicate digitally remotely from supply chains through your marketing, through supporting your employees. It's it's really a different world. I'm excited about the next chapter in, in B2B marketing and glad to be in marketing and part of it and part of the community that's trying to help figure it out. All right. Well, that's, this was awesome, Scott. We're going to transition to our next segment. So we try to keep oh. it, we try to keep it lively here. Don't want to okay, be I'm trying not to get nervous, like what's coming, but I'm ready. You're ready. You're ready. So here's, this is talking nonsense. Uh, so the more nonsensical, the better. Okay. Someone argue that's what I spew every day, but we'll, so we'll go with that. So Justin's going to time us. We've got one minute per topic. I'm going to throw it out there and we're going to go and see where this crazy train takes us. Okay. All right. We don't go off the rails, but let's go. It's okay. All right. Top of funnel makeover. Yeah. So that is something that is desperately needed Uh, in this first era we talked about. Everybody's looking at their database, marketing automation, CRM, and what happens once somebody gets in a database If you're going to organize uh, around the buyer, you got to go where it starts. And that is your first engagements and all those channels and outreach that you're doing around uh, using things like events and online events and social and content syndication and, and all those pieces that are so important in identifying engaging. And we need a makeover. We've been doing it the same way. Software. Pardon? So should we buy attribution software? Uh, no, uh, attribution software. Yes, you need attribution, but attribution has some very big unintended consequences if you're not prepared for it, because what it becomes is a credit game. Uh, unintended consequences are you're trying to use attribution to prove something versus to learn something and use it to optimize and guide what you do. So many times we buy attribution software or the thinking is I need to prove this is working and it can lead us right into a ditch. All right, so that's top of funnel makeover. Let's go to sales and marketing alignment. 
Oh man, you're hitting all my sore spots. Um, I think sales and marketing alignment is BS. Sales and marketing will never align, or let me say they'll align when things are great and working well. We're so aligned. They're different people, they're different functions. So uh, I've learned over time, like you, being a marketing uh, up through CMO and being a salesperson up through a sales leader, and now a chief growth officer that sits in between, that sales and marketing are different functions, but need to be integrated. The process, and they need to be orchestrated and organized around the buyer and the accounts. If you can begin to do that in scale and let marketing free to go create demand and think six to 12 months out, and let sales, or maybe even longer, and sales think more in the realm of quarter to quarter, I think you actually can build a, a strategy. But alignment, don't chase it. It's a dead-end trail. Uh, binge-worthy books or shows? So, uh, oh, this is going to reveal the dork in me. So I have to say what my first book we're reading, and we had Ann Hanley on our book club yesterday on our team call. Uh, everybody writes. If you haven't read it, it is a Bible. It is about communications and simplicity and putting your reader at the center of everything you do in marketing. Everything you write uh, is fabulous. Uh, and I, I love that. I read a lot of fiction as well. I just read The Glass Hotel. Um, I like the bestsellers and just to get you in stories and mindsets and how other people think we can get locked in. And um, man, this is a really dorky show, but I somehow got hooked on to Bosch on Amazon. What's that? I don't know. It's an LA cop. Okay. And because I live in Southern California and know all the spots they go, for some reason, my wife and I, you know, I don't know if it's binge worthy, but it's enough to, to make you think. And it's written like exactly what you think a cop book, you know, where they have a, a thriller and a, a mystery to solve. And it. Love it. it yeah. So I thought that might be something interesting that uh, it's not on everybody's list. So you strike me as a very hardworking individual, but there has to be some time that you're not working. Yeah. What do you do when you're not working? Well, um, I really value relationships and friendships. So uh, we spend a lot of time uh, with with people and and their extended I'll call their extended groups. So we've uh, we have God kids and God children and adopted God children and God kids that we get involved in their life and through social activities. So that's a big part of it. I live at the beach, so we spend a lot of time on recreational and outdoor activities in and around the beach. A ton of bike rides, running, uh, all of those elements, and I love music. And this is if you're asking me one thing I miss during this period. Yeah, I cannot wait to go see somebody live. And I'm trying to support by watching Facebook live or live streams. But it's I am great. really, really missing that energy from big concerts to small halls. I'm yeah. missing that. Live music is the best. Yeah, that, it's really just makes me feel great, honestly, and makes me happy and maybe a little sad at times in a good way, like moves my emotions. I, I dig it. Last segment about you. Um. I, I think that your journey is really interesting. And what when we met at B2BMX um, and, and we're just jamming and talking, I, I thought what you've been doing the last year or so, you said you just talk to customers over and over and over again. And maybe that's what a chief growth officer does. Not sure. But tell us about that experience and this role and what you're up to. Yeah, so I'm a 
a little bit of anomaly. I'm a classically trained marketer, whatever that is. I got a degree in it and was a Marcom manager. And, uh, and I tell you the backstory because it leads to chief growth officer land. And so I would start to go out as a product marketer honey, and I would go on sales calls with the salespeople because I knew the product. And I was thinking, these people, why aren't they just saying X or Y? And after about four years and our company got purchased after we had a rocket ship ride, I took a sales role, knew nothing about it. And I learned the hard knocks and I became a sales manager and a global sales leader and all those good things for about a decade. And I missed marketing. I missed the strategy. I missed the communications. So I was able to pivot back in and uh, take everything I learned from being out in the field of working with customers and prospects and partners and listening and using customer language. And I brought that into my next era of marketing and was able to kind of just continue down that path and much like you are today. And I was the founding CMO of Integrate Founding being the first CMO uh, to work with the team for product market fit all the way to where we are today. And also being CMO of an 8,000 person, you know, all those experiences that you get. So what does a chief growth officer do? I give you that lead up because today uh, our CEO, I think was wise or uh, maybe just a crazy entrepreneur I connect sales, marketing, and customer success, and we're starting to bring in product because when you're building a demand cloud, um, it is an ecosystem of providers. It's a lot of things that have to come together to deliver for the customer. In order to do that, your strategy has to be aligned across those functions. And so chief growth, growth officers, not sales, not marketing, not customer success. It's the catalyst and the connector of all those pieces uh, on behalf of the customer to make a demand cloud or something, um, that vision come to life. The last thing we do here, best part of the show, colossal fuck up, just the biggest one ever. We want to hear it. That's well, when we learn. Well, I, I, I've had many. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two stories. One's a small one, but forever is ingrained in my mind. I was about six months in, and I think I was 23 or 24. I was a Marcom manager and responsible for, I think, four people. And we were publishing literally the biggest launch in this company's history that was going to be responsible for the next era of growth. I literally misspelled the product on something we put out in market. And forever... Forever, and I'm, by the way, a communications major. Um, forever, I am scarred by those kind of, I double check, triple check in my own personal life and in business. Now, that may not seem like a big effort, but it's literally shaped my thinking and how I viscerally react to things because of that mistake. And the ramifications from the CEO and our customers and the amount of work I had to undo. And today it's a little bit more accepted, frankly, that things happen and hey, look, it's a PDF, it's digital, we can change it around. So, um, and I worked for a VP of marketing at the time and he said, you know what, I said, oh, well, I guess we're gonna have to chalk this one up to experience, not being flipped, but after going through all this anxiety he goes, you know what experience is? Experience is what you get when you don't get what you wanted. And that is forever, not lying on that uh, crutch of being able to do that. So 
Um, that is a that is an f up that has forever shaped me. I'm sure I have a long list that we could probably do a cocktail hour over that we could all sit and reminisce about those things. But I'll share that one because it was something that shaped how I think. Love it. Well, I I appreciate the the vulnerability in sharing it, and it's just been an honor having you on the show. It it's fun to find people who think like you do. So, uh, it's, it's just was a good, good banter. Um, appreciate everything you're doing to pioneer and really propagate the, the concept of orchestration. Uh, appreciate you being out there advocating for CMOs and the role and listening to customers. And, uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon, Scott. Big believer. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, I really enjoy this whole program that you have going. Uh, 